Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Well, today we're talking about the concept of a Savior. And the basic definition I want to leave you with is that a Savior is someone who rescues us. And the concept of a Savior has a very long history. In fact, even among the ancient Greek and Roman cultures, many times their philosophers and their politicians were viewed as saviors. Fast forward to Western culture, especially American culture today, and the concept of a Savior remains very popular. It's a common theme of a lot of our cultural identity. Almost every film has a character or characters who save the world, save a nation, save a person. The concept of a savior is is popular in music and comic books and TV shows, even among political parties. And this concept of salvation and savior is also very common in the world of religion. And various religions have various definitions of what our terrible plight is and how we get saved from it. So, for instance, if you're a Buddhist, you will get saved by, well, actually, you save yourself. You just stop doing desirous kind of things. If you are a follower of Confucius, you will save yourself through education, reflection, and moral living. If you are a Muslim, you save yourself by living a life of good deeds. If you're an Orthodox Jew, you save yourself through repentance and prayer and strict adherence to God's law. If you are a follower of the New Age movement, you save yourself by realizing that all is God, all is sacred, all is one, and as you relate to all people and all of creation, you live in harmony and unity with everything, and so you get saved. What I find curious is essentially all of those other religions teach that there is a Savior, but the Savior is who? It's you. You save yourself. All those religions teach you to save yourself, and religions exist to simply point out what you must do and not do in order to save yourself, and that is the exact opposite of Christianity. You see, when people say all religions are basically the same, no. All those other religions teach you how to save yourself. Christianity says we don't save ourselves. God does in Jesus. That He is the Savior. He is the hero. That when we read the Bible, it is not a series of commands that we must follow in order to earn the favor and love of God. Instead, we read the Bible as the revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ who already is doing the saving and has already done the saving. That's the major theme of the entirety of Scripture. It begins in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a few occurrences at the end of Isaiah. In these verses, God is speaking, and God is telling us who the Savior is. We begin in Isaiah 43. I, even I, 
in the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. This is God saying, I am the only Savior. There is no Savior besides me, just me. A couple chapters later, Isaiah 45, 21. There is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. There is one God, and I'm that God, he says. A few chapters later, Isaiah 49, 26. All mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. God wants all people, all times, all places, all cultures, all religions to know that there is one God and one Savior, and that Savior is God alone. Says the same thing in Isaiah 60, 16. I, the Lord, am your Savior. And in Isaiah 62, 11, we're told, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, Israel, see, your Savior comes. See, His reward is with Him. Here at the end of the book of Isaiah, roughly 700 years before the coming of Jesus, this theme is repeated over and over that there is one God and that one God is our Savior. And that God is coming to save us, that our God is coming into human history and He is going to bring with Him salvation. And so from this time on, for hundreds of years, people were waiting for the coming of their Savior. And that leads us up to the time of Jesus. And as we enter the New Testament, this concept of a Savior is inextricably bound to who Jesus is, why He came, and what He came to accomplish. The New Testament uses the word Savior 24 times. But out of that word are words like salvation, saved, being saved, those words are all throughout the New Testament, and in every single instance, they are referring to Jesus. So what happens these hundreds of years later? An angel shows up just as God had promised. There is one God and one Savior, and this angel shows up prior to the birth of Jesus and announces His coming. This is what we celebrate at Christmas he says this, the angel does, in Matthew chapter 1, she, that is Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means God saves. So the announcement is made to the Virgin Mary that when Jesus is born and the angel shows up again and declares emphatically and clearly who Jesus is, He is the Savior God. We hear that from Luke's description in chapter 2. The angel again says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Old Testament declared that the Savior is coming, and when Jesus was born, the angel then says, the Savior God is here. We know that we need a Savior. We've established that there is a Savior. And we've established that God is the Savior through Jesus. We're now going to examine what does Jesus save us from? 
and what I love is that what we get offered in Jesus is unlike any other religion. Other religions will tell you that God loves good people. You hear that? God only loves good people. Or He loves people of a certain race or a certain nation or a certain language. Uh, Some religions even teach that you have to be rich in order to be accepted. And what we see in Jesus is a Savior not just of a minority group of people, but Jesus came to save the multitude of people. He is a global, multinational, multiracial, multi-ethnic God. We're hearing first that He came for the Jewish people. Here is a part of Peter's sermon in the early church in Acts chapter 5. He is speaking to the Jews around Him when He says, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel, the nation of Israel, to repentance and forgive their sins. Peter is a Jewish man, and he's saying Jesus is the savior of us Jews. Well, Jesus came into human history as a Jew. He spoke the language. He participated in their festivals and feasts and their study of the Old Testament Scriptures and their worship. Many of the first converts to Christianity were Jewish, who saw all these Old Testament promises being fulfilled in one person, in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see many of those next week. So Jesus is the Savior of Israel, but He didn't come just for one nationality, one race, one culture of people. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, said this, Christ is the head of the church, His body, of which He is the Savior. What does the church of Jesus Christ consist of? All people of all times, all races, all nations, all languages, all tribes, all tongues. So it has spread beyond the Jewish people into the church of which God says includes all people. You know, it's an amazing gift that we Christians have something in common, not just here in this room, but the Christians the world over. Now, we can have our differences about worship style or secondary theological issues, but what holds Christians together as a church is that if you ask any Christian, they would say, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is my Savior. And today, there are 2.2 billion people on earth that say they are Christian, that acknowledge Jesus as their Savior, and those are the people that comprise the church of Jesus Christ. Some are Baptist, some are Methodist, some are Presbyterian, some are Lutheran, some are Catholic, some are Orthodox. There are different traditions, different distinctives, but Jesus died for the church. He died for all who would receive Him as Savior. Jesus himself goes on to say this in Luke, for the Son of Man, that's the title that Jesus used for himself, so it's like him saying, I came 
to seek and save the lost. You see, the most horrendous thing I could think of is that you and I are sinners and we're lost, and our God doesn't come looking for us. In fact, what He says is, hey, I'm out in the universe somewhere. Come find me, and I'll save you. If that were the case, it's not Him saving us. It's us saving ourselves. we got to go on the journey. we got to find Him in order to be saved. And yet, that's what all the other religions are about. You've gotten yourself lost, so get yourself found. Get yourself saved. Get yourself out of that predicament in which you got yourself into. Well, if you're lost, you don't know where you are. You don't know which way to go. Have you ever been that kid? Got away from your parents somehow? I was when I was real little. I was in a grocery store. It was a small grocery store. It was probably about the size of this room. And I got away from my mom. I was wandering and veered away, and I was probably looking for Oreos or something. And you know, the Bible says that we're all like kids, and God is our Father. And we have wandered away from Him, and now we're just lost. And we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to find our way. And what God does is He comes looking for us. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus, our Savior, comes to seek and save those of us who are lost. Knowing that otherwise we would never be found. But if Jesus is the Savior and He comes to save sinners, He came for lost people, then there is hope. And the hope is not in me, it's in Him. And so Jesus is the Savior of the Jews, He's the Savior of the church, which is every nation, and He is the Savior of the lost. Now, what is it that He came to save us from? Remember the Matthew passage, you are to give Him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their, what, sins. Think about this. What would your life be like if you never met Jesus? What would be different? What would your marriage look like? What would family life look like? What would how you treat your children look like? Or how you deal with, with money issues or anything surrounding your life? Thank you, Lord, that you save people from their sins. This is great because we live in a culture where it's almost fashionable to accept sin and declare it as our personality. We don't have to accept sin. Someone will say, this is who I am. And we could say, well, I do love you, but wouldn't it be nice to be saved from who you think you are? That we don't need to accept it. We don't need to live with it or tolerate it or try to manage it or hide it or be overwhelmed by it or live enslaved under it, wouldn't it, be wouldn't it be nice to be delivered from it, to be saved so that you don't have to commit that sin over and over and you can live a new life, a different life? 
And what that means is to be born again. It's to be saved to such a degree that we get a new start. Jesus saves us from our sin. He also saves us from the wrath of God. Paul, writing to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 9, since we have now been justified by His blood, that's Jesus' blood on the cross, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Maybe you're thinking, I don't like wrath. Good, you're not supposed to. (laughs) It's an incentive to repent. You see, God is a good God. We're bad people. I'm a bad person. We do. We think. We say bad things. How does God feel about that? Well, bad. And God is unhappy with sin. God is unhappy with me. God is unhappy with us. And the result is His wrath, His judgment. Those are the consequences for a righteous, just, holy God We could not be in His presence because He is pure. And yet, Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. What a wonderful gift. There's no way in the world that I should be be saved from the wrath of God. I'm not that good of a person. All I can claim is I am saved by Jesus Christ. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from the wrath of God. He also saves us from death. Paul writing, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. And what has He done? He has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus comes to save us from death. We don't want to die. Death is our enemy. But we All sin, the wage of sin is death. We all die, but Jesus died and destroyed death by coming back to life. And now I know I don't have to fear death. That's the most liberating thing in the world, that this great enemy of death has been defeated. And fourthly, we are saved from Satan. Again, the Apostle Paul, this time 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Everything against God's law, everything against God's holiness. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. In other words, you'll be deceived. You'll think, well, this is it, right? This is that, those amazing aspects of, of something supernatural, something that God could do, but it's all to serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Here's what Paul is saying, that some people think they have no need for salvation because they're spiritual. Well, spirituality, according to Paul, could be synonymous with demonism. That's what he's saying. Some people could say, I don't need to be saved. I'm a spiritual person. I I, I see things. I I dream dreams and I I hear voices and and I'm I'm clairvoyant and I have insights and supernatural experiences. I am a spiritual person. But spirituality sometimes is nothing more than deception. 
Jesus saves us from sin, from the wrath of God, from death, from Satan. Now, only in, not only is Jesus our Savior, He is the only Savior. Again, very acceptable in our day to say Jesus is a Savior. As in, okay, He works for you, He doesn't work for me. That's according to your perspective, not mine. That's your ideology, not mine. It's okay to say that Jesus is one among many Saviors. The conflict, the tension, the resistance comes and always will when you say Jesus is the only Savior. That's when the rub comes. I'm going to give you an example, a cultural example of this sort of pluralism that says it's okay to have Jesus as an option, but not the only answer. John Lennon once said, I believe what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said, it was just that the translations have gone wrong. Here's what John Lennon is saying. And it's a sort of common theme in our culture that all religions and all religious leaders say the same thing. Buddha says that there are 84,000 paths to enlightenment. That's a lot of paths. And how many of you would want directions from a religious pluralist like that? I mean, can you imagine? Let me, let me just change the scenario for you. What if you're driving and you say, you know what, I don't know where I'm going. I'd like to know. I'm trying to get to Canada. And, and so you don't have a GPS. You need to stop, pull over, and the first person that you ask directions of is a directional pluralist. And you say, hey, I'm trying to get to Canada, and they say, pick a road, any road. They'll all get you there. Actually, they don't. Some will take you to Mexico, some will take you to the East Coast, some will take you to the West Coast, some will take you to New York, some will take you to Florida, some will take you around in a circle, some are a dead end. It's interesting, we don't live our lives that way, but spiritually, that's exactly what somebody will tell you. It doesn't matter what road, just get on one and travel, they all take you to the same place. No, they don't. Even Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the way to life. There has always been resistance to the exclusive claim of Jesus Christ. In the early church, that's why they were opposed and imprisoned and even killed. It's because they refused to say Jesus is a Savior they emphatically and clearly maintain that Jesus is the Savior. So joining with the early church, we declare with all certainty that Jesus alone is the Savior, that Jesus alone is the path to eternal life, that Jesus alone is the means by which we are saved from death, from hell, from Satan, from the wrath of God, from sin. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus all the time. Is Jesus your Savior? If not, who is your Savior? What 
is your Savior? Where is your hope? Where is your forgiveness? How will you conquer death? How will you overcome sin? How will you escape the wrath of God? Apart from Jesus, what else is there? Is your hope in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus? Is your trust in Jesus? If not, I invite you to take time now. And you know how you can be certain? Just commit your life to Him. To ask Jesus to save you, to forgive you, to take away your sin, to take away your condemnation, to take away your eternal death, and to give you a new life as a Christian. You can even do that quietly in your seat. You see, Jesus is alive, and He's in heaven. And He knows your thoughts, He knows your desires, He knows your heart. And He will answer that prayer. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.